Hey, happy Friday, everybody. You've made it through yet another week, and we are back with you at the Airport Minute, where each and every day on Monday through Friday, we go over the greatest disaster movie ever made. At least that's what we think. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I am host number two, Mark Cerulli of CovertOps.tv. And once again, we landed author and pop culture connoisseur, Chris Epting. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being here. It's been a fun week and uh, a lot of a lot of great action in this particular five minutes of the movie. We are just about to uh, take off on finally. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> it was, no turning back now. It, it only felt like no. we were delayed. You know, it's like in, in the <laughs> in the uh, context of an air. You know, being in an airport, it was almost like it was delay here. We're finally set loose. Yeah, they've they've got everybody strapped in, and uh, and now they're uh, they're all lined up on runway two two. So I guess they're gonna be blasting out the uh, china closets in Meadowood. So, uh, <laughs> So at the beginning here, we get that nice J.J. Uh, Abrams lens flare, only it's a real actual lens flare. Those are real Magna optical uh, lenses strapped into uh, American optical cameras shot on Technicolor film. So it's all, you know, it, but that's how it actually looked when, when bright, shiny lights went through a lens and hit film. It's a great view of that 707, too, as it, as it lines up. Uh, does the turn. And we're back with uh, the guy that looks like uh, Alec Baldwin's grandfather. <laughs> I keep thinking Rusty Schweikert from the Apollo missions, <laughs> the redheaded guy. Or, or the senator from Virginia, Jim Webb. Yes, exactly. It's a little yeah, bit of that, yeah. too. And he's got that West Virginia sound to his voice like all uh, air traffic controllers have. He's telling uh, Global 2 they are, they're ready to roll, and Barry Nelson puts the uh, pedal to the metal. But not before we and... get a shot of the knockoff Snoopy on the, uh, on the, the desk there, kind of overlooking things that, that uh, frame right. That's true, yeah. That, that is the... This is the height of uh, of Peanuts popularity. Yeah. I mean, they little Red Baron they had... attired Snoopy. Yeah, I had one when I was a kid, and I always wanted. They they came out with an astronaut edition of it. If you remember the little white Snoopy yeah. with the with the mask and and I think I remember a... that. Yeah, I of course never got one, but I still want one. <laughs> well, there's eBay. Thanks, that's Mom. What, that's what eBay. But was that Snoop that Snoopy does add kind of a nice, you know, almost more homey touch. Yeah, yeah, it warms it up a lot. The the clinical nature of of air traffic control all of a sudden. You know, the little stuffed animal, it's sort of uh, nice. It's a nice touch. Yeah, I, I keep thinking there would be a stack of stubbed out cigarettes in that ashtray, though. I mean, maybe the cleaning crew just came I, through and uh, and it's tidy. But And I never noticed until just now that there's a water fountain up against yeah. the window. Left. Amazing use of plumbing there on the second floor. Uh, <laughs> we are we start rolling down the runway and we're still watching uh, Van Heflin acting with his fingers around that attache case for the cutaway you know and then we get that great iconic shot the older over the shoulder shot of the takeoff from the cockpit and they actually did shoot i just realized they this shot is different from the one that they use at the end because that's actually uh barry nelson and dean martin they had previously shot a scene with the global 10 crew two different actors and they will reuse that toward the end of this movie the next time global two touches down uh with different heads but these are actually the (laughs) the characters uh, that are playing those parts, we're actually using the real backs of their heads. Interesting. We watched that nice takeoff. I wonder how many times they had to shoot that 707 taken off to get the right shot. There must have been a lot of touch and goes that night. <laughs> and then we see they're they're coming up out of the soup, which is, uh, I guess, a lot of dry ice and uh, a good, mm, right. about a two-foot-long model there. Very nicely done model, too. That is That is a nice special effect. I mean, again, remembering 1970... Could only do so much, and this is—I uh, think that's a very realistic look there. Yeah, and the uh, the sound helps it out, you know, that, that overlay. People weren't expecting that much realism for their special effects. I mean, they they knew it was just a movie, so they're 
I think that your mind's kind of accepted when you look at it and you'd say, oh, that's, that might be a little hokey nowadays, but it was okay back then. And we've mm-hmm. compressed time, obviously, too, right? Because if they're coming out of the clouds, they're, you know, we, they would probably be about 10 minutes outside of doing that, right? I mean, yeah. in real time. Yeah, if, I, I don't think they pulled up from the runway and all of a sudden they're at 7,000 feet. So. Right. <laughs> um, it, it is a nice little touch. We're finally back in the cockpit with uh, Dean and Barry and, and Cy, well, Cy Jordan played by Gary Collins. Nice that they look relaxed yet alert. I think they look very relaxed. I mean, I always, I always think about, I always want my pilots to be kind of on edge. And you know what I mean? You want them to be taking it seriously. But they definitely right. look confident. And, uh, you know, everything's fine. I mean, given, yeah, you've got to figure, take it off in snow like that. You think there'd be a little bit of friction or something. But you don't see it by looking at their faces. Although Gary Collins, if you freeze at 51, uh, there's a little bit of tension on his face. But Dean Martin holding the – it looks like he's holding a glass – like he's taking a drink. Yeah. Uh, with his hand up to his mouth, which is kind of classic <laughs> yeah. Dean at that point. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got his hands off – I mean, the only one really doing a job right there is, uh, is Barry Nelson, the pilot. So Dino's just kind of hanging in. Yeah, and he looks stoic and calm, Barry Nelson. Yeah, well, they all look like they've done this a million times before. That's, I think that's one of the big uh, sales points of this one is that they all look like veterans. They don't look like this is their first time in a cockpit. Right, mm-hmm. right. Dino has that perfect pilot patter that you know he can he can talk to the ground and he knows what to say. And it might have been fun if he had hiccuped, you know, like done a little bit of his <laughs> of his shtick just to sort right. of remind people where he comes from. Yeah, it's, yeah, or or if in the corner of the cockpit there's a little wet bar, right? That would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, or some guy playing a piano. So while, you know, <laughs> piano lounge might work. Compare this in contrast with all the drama that happened in the previous minute. You know, we had all this anxiousness with Inez. And now we're, you know, we're suddenly into act two and this is the action going, but it has to start with a calm moment. So this is kind right. of, you know, the calm before the storm. It's going to be a lot. It's obviously going to be a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of minutes. And if you freeze on 57, uh, Helen Hayes is, is giving uh, Van Heflin uh, the stink eye <laughs> yeah. as he as he lights up another cigarette. Yeah. So funny. And he's lighting up pretty early in the game, too. I mean, again. You know, I guess you're not holding until a certain cruising altitude, or well, again, we're just compressing time. But yeah, he's, you've got Quincy he's firing Jones up. Sitting he's like already smoked him. that cigarette. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the, the, how long? How long has the no smoking light been off? You know, he must have just like sucked that down in three puffs. Right. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have that nicotine. And he's, and he's smoking. It looks like True, which had those weird filters. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 all those little plastic insets that look like uh, Mercedes Benz logos. <laughs> and I, yeah, the the green ones were menthol, so he's uh, he's chuffing away. Uh, and there's a uh, there's Marilyn Munster behind uh, Helen Hayes sitting next to Quincy Jones. <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah, that funny? Yeah. Is that and you had you have uh, you had a story, right, Chris? About- well, I was you know when I see Van Heflin there about to light a cigarette off the cigarette, uh, I automatically think when I was about growing up in Westchester County, not far from where mm-hmm. Jim grew up in high school, not pre high school, I was in probably fourth grade or so, fifth grade, and I told my parents I wanted to be a writer. And my parents thought, well, that's a great idea. And they said, well, we have a neighbor who doesn't live too far away who's also a writer. Maybe you could write him and he could give you some tips. And the, the writer's name was John Cheever, our neighbor. Wow. Oh, my God. Where'd you live, in Austin? Uh, yeah. And my, yeah, my, my uh, folks lived right near him. So, okay, so he lived down the road, maybe about a mile or so, but out there it was very rural. So down the road a mile, there weren't that many houses in between. So I write John Cheever a letter and um, 
literally uh, two or three days later, my mother comes in. My parents loved John Cheevers, I learned later. But I'm only fourth or fifth grade. And then my mom comes in holding a letter as if it's like uh, radioactive. You know, she's like can't breathe. And she says, it's, it's from him. It's from him. So I open this letter and it says word for word, dear Chris Epting, it is nice to know there's another writer living in the neighborhood. One day I'll give you a call. We'll take a walk and talk about writing. Sincerely, John Cheever. So my mom is freaking out, which, you know, as a kid, I thought it was, that was a home run because if she was excited, then, then it was all, you know, all was good. All well, good. the next day she comes in holding the phone, which is just rang. And again, same kind of radioactive thing. Like she can't believe she's holding the phone and she's like pointing at it going, it's him. He's on the phone. So I take the phone and it's indeed John Cheever. And we have this nice conversation. He invites me to his house the next day after I have wow. little league practice to bring something I've written, um, to go over with him. So my mom takes me the next day. I, he, his wife meets me at the door. She brings me into his office and there he sits. And we sit down to start talking and, and he takes out a pack, not of true cigarettes, but of Chesterfields. Oh the old boy, yeah, yeah. Chesterfield. Oh boy. And he opens a new pack and he actually empties the entire pack. He lines them up on this old antique desk as I'm sitting there. And he picks up the one at the end and he lights it. And as we sit there the next couple of hours, that one match went through the whole pack of cigarettes. As the cigarette would get down, he would pick up the next cigarette like Van Heflin and light it and light it. So after like an hour, we were sitting in this cloud of you know blue smoke and talking about literature and writing and the Beatles and all these things he liked, which led to this you know mentorship that he had with me till he died in 1981, about six or seven years worth of of really good friendship and, and mentorship and all that. But whenever I see somebody light a cigarette in that old school fashion, it takes me back to sitting in John Cheever's office and watching him do the same thing. He was a very heavy smoker and uh, took his smoking seriously. And yeah. he would, that's how he always smoked. He would always line them on the table, and that just became the ritual. Wow. Oh, my God. Dang and, in fact, one day when I went back there for one of my visits, I used to go there quite a bit. Um, I go in and he says, uh, I have company today. I hope you don't mind if you, you can hear me chat with my friends for a bit. And I go in and it's Saul Bellow and John Updike. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. And I sat wow. there and John Updike was doing a, a similar thing. Like he had cigarettes that were ready to be lit. You know what I mean? So maybe it was a writer's thing. I don't know. But it's obviously a bomber's thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> on the plane. Holy but, but this scene really caught me off guard when I saw that because it, it, it just takes me back to those days in Austin. With uh, with John Cheever. That's stunning. Wow, that that's amazing. But yeah, it's uh, it, you still have the letter framed. I, would I have the letter, and most importantly, I have all of his notes where he would scrawl wherever he was in the world. I would send him little stories in like high school and whatnot, and he would mark them up and send them back from wherever he happened to be. He was very particular about wow. keeping that routine going. And I asked him one day I, in the late seventies, he won the Pulitzer for, uh, I believe, his collection of short stories. And he was on the cover of Newsweek magazine. And that's when I understood that he was somebody really special. I had no clue really up until then. But when someone back then, you know, Time and Newsweek was such a big deal. And that day I went to see him with the magazine. And I, I said, you know, I finally get it. I finally know who you are. I, it never really struck me that you would take time with me. Yet here you are on the cover of Newsweek. You know, and that really was... Uh, was a, was a moment for me, but uh, anyhow, this this minute certainly uh, produced a nice emotional note too, a nice emotional memory for me. Well, that's great, yeah. Wow, that's what a great story. Ooh, um... <laughs> but looking at this, it's like he's ready to smoke again, and you know he's just going to keep going. I mean, yeah. He, well, we, we, you know, know, he's not going to worry about it, you know, affecting his health any. <laughs> 
And it's like you can for those that remember smoking on planes, it's like that little tiny ashtray. Like after three or four cigarettes, it was jam packed. Like you couldn't you couldn't shut the lid on the ashtray after a few cigarettes if you watch people smoke. I did back then too. And uh it's like it still staggers the mind that that was allowed back then. But yeah, it, you know. it just never it never made any sense. I, when uh when I was a kid, I, I think I mentioned this before that my mom worked for American Airlines, so we flew a lot of non-rev flights. And we get on the middle leg of a you know three segment flight, and if you wound up in the smoking section, those those little uh, tin cups that were in every seat, they were usually jam packed. Even the you know the door wouldn't close on it. Yeah, and you <sighs> you lost that you lost that arm because you couldn't put your hand down on top of a what was basically an ashtray. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, I... <laughs> what's funny too is like on planes today, it's kind of interesting how they still have the icon of no smoking. Yeah. That, Next to mm-hmm. the seatbelt, that it needs, light up top. Yeah, that it needs to be mentioned. You know, by the way, it, you're never smoking. <laughs> One, a little bit of trivia: there is an ashtray, uh, an active ashtray. It's in the lavatories, uh, at, in in every plane. And the reason that it's there is the FAA realized if you had ac- you know, if you had lit up and you forgot, you need a place to put it out, and they need some fireproof place. So that's in any of the labs. They'll put it out there. Uh, you, Interesting. You could get fined, but at least they'll, you know, it won't affect the plane. I always wonder how long they'll they'll leave the no smoking thing up, like when it becomes sort of universal, you know, that you don't do that on a plane. I, I thought we were there by now, but I guess not. Well, we still have uh, cigarette lighters in cars, but uh, we, I, I've mm. I've ridden in a bunch of cars where there is no cigarette lighter in it. It's just a you know a door that you open That's up. It, right. But, well, there, there's are there any commercial flights in the world now that allow smoking? Like, is, there's no airline that allows that, right? I'm not sure if it's in this country. Chesterfield Airways, I think, still <laughs> uh, they encourage it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> the no filter flight. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. We have to we'll have to look into that. I'm sure somebody will uh, will comment on that eventually, but we will uh, we'll have to find out about that on a different minute. But this has been an excellent minute. I mean, we're well into the air. I do love the the wordless acting by Helen Hayes in, in that little scene where she keeps glancing over at uh, poor old Dio. Yeah, it, it's it, this this is the beginning of so many. This is where it all starts building up, and even uh, you know these little hints like the amount of stress that uh, that Guerrero's going through kind of are a, a hint of things. To and I come. love he he crumples the pack up and th- throws it on the ground, <laughs> and Helen Hayes is like, "Oh, this is going to be a fun flight." <laughs> yeah, she got stuck. With that guy, you know, she's yeah. sitting next to him. Yeah, seven, seven and a half hours to go <laughs> to get to Rome. Right. <laughs> wow. And she's well into her project, too, as we see there. Yeah, and I just keep wondering, I guess that, was, that must have been another thing in her handbag, but she has, like, knitting needles. You would never get knitting needles on a, on a plane nowadays. I was just thinking that. That's what she's doing, right? How would she get those through? Wow. Well, it's like, uh, yeah, it, there is like that doctor that's on the plane uh, we'd seen in a previous minute where he was carrying a, a medical bag full of, uh, happy pills, and as we'll find out later, he has uh, vials of morphine that he can inject in people. <laughs> and apparently he was going to be able to get that through Italian customs, so go figure. They call them Dr. Happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm urgently needed. It, this is just a really wacky flight. Uh, and you can tell if one of the monsters is on it, so there's, there's, a, there's a... One clue. of the monsters, and the fun, the fun is about to start. It really is built up now to a point where we're kind of at the precipice, and it's about to start to rock and roll. Exactly. It's, if you're on a roller coaster, it's, it, it, the tick, tick, tick has ended. So, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be seeing what's, what's happening next in the uh, ensuing weeks, but uh, this is a great start to it all. And uh, thanks to you, Chris, we've uh, we managed to explore it a little bit further than uh, than Mark and I normally would. So, uh, thank well, you. I appreciate you guys. This is so much fun. If you ever have a gap and you need somebody, 
by all means, please reach out and let me know. I, I love doing this and I appreciate it. Would love to. Um, Absolutely. How can people find out more about your writings online, uh, Chris? Oh, they can look me up on Facebook or go to chrisepting.com. It's pretty easy. Or just go to Amazon. That's where my books are and where, where I like to post these sorts of things. So just type my name in and all kinds of junk will turn up. Cool. Okay. Well, that's, that's, an, easy, that's an easy route. So, uh, Well, great. Well, thanks for being with us. Hopefully we'll have you back someday soon. And uh, we will be continuing the uh, the saga flight to uh next week um if you'd like to reach out to us to uh comment on any of these minutes uh you can reach us on several social media you can find us on facebook at airport minute you can find us on twitter at airport minute you can visit our big big site uh, airportminute.com where every episode has a comment section on it uh you can also if you want to get this uh podcast delivered to you every single monday through friday you go to itunes and subscribe to airport minute and if you do that, uh, leave us a good review because if people find out that there's good reviews about our site, they'll listen in and we'll have a lot more people uh, to talk about this. Thank you again for uh, for listening and uh, we will catch you all next week. In the meantime, have a good weekend and good day. Thanks, you guys. Nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling.